Welcome to Connection Church's podcast. This week, Brandon shares a message entitled, Unwrapping the Gift. There is so much packed into the gift of Jesus Christ, and rarely do we spend time to unpack it all. In addition, we must realize that the local church is God's gift to the world. All right. Well, God is good, and we are, we're going to jump in the Word. Um, everybody ready for Christmas? Everybody good on that? Me either. So... But uh, getting there, getting there, it comes up quickly. I want to talk to you today about unwrapping the gift. And, you know, this is a time of year, and we know how commercialized Christmas has become. But it's a time of year we do begin uh, thinking about gifts for people. And, and most of you, I'm sure, have received Christmas presents of some sort at times. And, you know, one of the things that is, is really cool is, like, the anticipation of a gift, right? I mean, you remember when you were little, there might be a present under the tree. Or, or you knew somebody had something for you, and you would go, and you would, you would shake it. Or you would try to guess at what's in it. I remember when um, I was little, I wanted a BB gun so badly. It's like a little Red Rider kind of BB gun, right? And, and uh, I wanted one so badly. And I remember the present. I could shake it. And it, ri- it sounded just like BB. I was so excited. I knew what was in that box. And Christmas could not get here fast enough. And, and so that anticipation is so awesome. It's so cool. And today I want to read a scripture to you. And I want to talk to you a little bit in the beginning about the anticipation of Christ and just seeing how the gift of Jesus Christ came into the world, seeing how God brought this gift that was anticipated for thousands of years. And then he came bursting onto the scene. And so we're going to look at that. I want to read to you real quick. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter three and hold your finger there. Even after I've read that, because we're going to do something else with it in just a second. But I want to read to you Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And now in this scripture, it's awesome because God has created this perfect place, right? This perfect, this paradise. And he has set man inside this, this garden, this paradise. And he said, now I want you to just tend it, take care of it. And he creates Eve and then they're there. And everything for two chapters is perfect. We, uh, isn't it kind of crazy that mankind only made it two chapters? I mean, you would think we could have done a little better than that, but two chapters and we fall apart. And so we go and we start to see here in chapter three that the devil comes. He begins to start tempting us. He, he begins to start tempting Adam and Eve. He begins to undermine the word of God, making them maybe think that what God said wasn't true. Anybody ever been there where you begin to question the word of God? It's such a trick of the devil. If he can undermine the word of God in our lives, then we've got nothing to stand on. And so he comes and he begins to try to undermine the word. And then Adam and Eve eat the fruit. They sin. They realize they are naked. They do the dumbest thing ever. They try to hide from God as if we can actually hide from him. And so they're, they're, they, they get them some fig leaves. They hide in the woods and God comes along and finds them. But this is what's really cool is that God begins to address not Adam and Eve in the beginning. He begins to address the serpent. He comes and he finds his children in disarray. He comes and finds his children in a state that is not what he had planned for them. They had done the unthinkable. They had, they had sinned. And yet God comes and he begins to talk to the serpent first. And listen to this. It says in 315, it says, And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. In other words, I'll separate you. I'll, I'll, I'll set you apart. And he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. I always say, you may have heard me say this, but that is the scene. How many of you have seen the passion of the Christ? 
You've seen that, that movie where in the very beginning, the snake is crawling through the garden and he's crawling up there and he is just about to bite Jesus. And I'm in the movie theater and I'm freaking out. And, you know, I mean, it's Jesus, you know what I'm saying? I mean, it's like, well, are we really worried about Jesus getting bit by a snake? He would just heal it. But I'm freaking out because this snake's about to bite. Right at the last minute, Jesus picks up his foot and stomps on the head of the snake. And that's what this verse is referring to. It's referring to Jesus Christ will come and destroy the serpent. Is that not awesome? That, that, and this, is even, this even brings it into more clarity. When, when Adam and Eve, when mankind has screwed up God's perfect creation, God comes and he doesn't immediately go to Adam and Eve. He addresses the one who has hurt his children. Is that not awesome to see the heart of a loving father who comes? Now, I don't know about you. I mean, I I have two kids and I am so far from being a perfect parent. There's so many things that I wish I could do differently. And I'm working on that. Praise God. He's making me better every day and I'm getting better and better. But man, I'm so far from the heart of a father like this. I don't know. But when I'm creating something, when I'm building something, when I'm working in the yard and I'm doing something and my kids come along and really mess that up. The first thing I don't, I'm like, what are you doing? What were you thinking? And then I start trying to rationalize with a three-year-old and that does not work so well. But I do that. I try to, I try to rationalize with them and then I'm like, okay, this doesn't work. But God doesn't come and do that. He comes and, and in the midst of the fallen mess, I mean, literally hell being unleashed on earth, God comes and he deals with the serpent. He deals with the one. And it's almost like you can see God putting his children behind him and saying, now let me deal with you first, Satan. Let me deal with you. And this is the first uh, evidence that we see that Christ will come. If you talk about prophetic um, words, you talk about prophetic things that show that Christ was, this is the first prophecy of Jesus Christ. This is when God was saying, listen, he is gonna come. He is gonna be here. And he says, he will crush the head of the serpent and you will strike his heel. And so this is the first prophecy. Now, this is what I want you to do. I want you to take um, from Genesis chapter one, if you have your Bible, and I want you to go to Matthew. And, and this is what I want you to do. I want you to take it and I want you to look at that. Go back one, one, a couple of pages in my Bible. It's only one page. You go back and you find another small book called Malachi. And if you take your Bible and you kind of hold it up like this, look at this. This is, and this has no commentary. This has nothing in it. This is just the word of God. And look at how thick this is. Look at how thick this is. This is God's promise to us about the coming Christ. Mine has 847 pages of God revealing that a gift will come that will crush the head of a serpent. And so we look at this and we begin to see this. We begin to see that God is making this plan. Even in the midst of the fall, God had a plan that one would come who would deliver us from all of this. That one would come who would, who would, uh, relieve us of the pressure of the, the, uh, bondage that we're under because of the fall in the garden. I want you to think about this. Think about the anticipation Think about how it would work. Think about these Jewish people who spent so much time in bondage. These Jewish people that looked at their life and it was just as if if every time they turned around, somebody was taking them captive. 
It was as if when they turned around, somebody was, was coming and getting them and they're reading this and they know this. And every time they thought there was no hope, God would raise up a judge. Every time they thought there was no hope, God would raise up a prophet. And every time the anticipation would grow and it was building and it was building and it would grow and they would get another word and they would think it was done. And then anticipate, it would be like a woman having childbirth. A woman, the birth pains, they increase. They start out from conception and they increase and they get worse and they get worse and they build and they build and they grow and they grow. And finally, they're just getting so intense, so intense that everybody is looking and everybody is waiting for this thing to be birthed. And it just grows more and more and more. And finally, it just stops. freaked all y'all out it freaked y'all thank you luke luke's on the spot appreciate it and the funny thing is with our sound system you never know if that is planned or if something just went wrong but actually that was planned because that is what happened in the word of god Man, there were 847 pages of anticipation and God building this thing up. And then all of a sudden, nothing. God went silent for 400 years. Nothing. Silence. Don't you know they were freaking out? Man, oh man, all of this build up. And then God just quits. No prophets, nobody. Nothing. And then we come to the next section of Scripture, which is the Gospels. He even turned it on, man. That's, that's great. I'm going to stick it back up there, and hopefully I won't need it. Maybe getting it for real in just a minute. But we go to the next section of Scripture, and it's Matthew through the Gospel of John. And if you take that and you begin to look at it, this is the promise revealed. See, when Jesus came and he was born on that Christmas morning, he was born that first, that first Christmas that we had, it was the revealing of what God had been promising all along. It was the proclamation that a kingdom has come. It wasn't just a man. The kingdom of God was in him. And he was coming to unleash it on the world. He was coming to bring it forth. Don't you know how awesome? I mean, even creation responded. The stars responded to the coming of Christ. Is that not awesome? When we begin to look at all of this history and all of these times, and then all of these people are waiting and waiting, and then God goes silent. I mean, for generations, it wasn't like it was just 10 years. I mean, we start freaking out when we don't hear God every day. And these people are, are going 400 years without God speaking. And you know what's crazy is when he came to earth, people didn't recognize him. They didn't see him. I mean, when Jesus comes into Jerusalem uh, during the Holy Week, he rides in on a donkey. He rides right past the synagogue. And the most religious people there didn't even know who he was. And I wonder sometimes if today we don't miss him in our own lives. If we don't miss this awesome gift that God gave. I mean, you think about it in that, in that, uh, in Jerusalem or in Bethlehem where Jesus was born, he's there and they have the baby and he's wrapped up in these, these clothes, just like any baby. I mean, you go to, you go see like Sienna when she was first born or we had our, our children, you wrap those babies up tight. And can you imagine Jesus wrapped up this, this little baby? But I ask you today, what was in that? 
what was in the blanket? What was wrapped up in there? I mean, I believe it's so much more than what we really give God credit for. Think about this. How many of us would know that there was a present under the tree for us that could fulfill every desire, everything that we've ever had, and we wouldn't go and open it? And yet so many times we'll accept the gift, we'll let it sit under the tree, but we really don't open it to live in the fullness of everything that God gave Jesus to us for. So I want to look at that just a little bit today. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Isaiah 61. We're going to start there. We're going to begin looking at this. Because I just want us to get real quick, just a little bit of a taste of what Jesus has done for us. All right, are you all here? We there? We good? Everybody smile? Happy? We can stand up and do some jumping jacks, wake everybody up. All right, here we go. Isaiah 61. I want to read the first three verses to you, then we're going to look at them. It says in Isaiah 61, 1, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because he has, the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. Listen to this. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness. A planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. I mean, think about this, guys. This is incredible stuff for us. This is incredible stuff for us. It says that Jesus has been sent to bind up the broken hearted. How many people do you know today that are broken hearted? Not just because a relationship didn't work out, but because maybe the economy's gone south. And they, I mean, I talked to two people yesterday who've lost their jobs. One of them hadn't worked in five months. He's a public educator. Hasn't worked in five months. How many people today are brokenhearted? And yet we walk around with this sorrow and this feeling. And yet the gift is right there. The one who can get us through the tough times is right there. It's like what Mandy said about singing the desert song. He's still God in every season. He is still God. Even when we're in a time of despair. Even when we're brokenhearted. He is still God. It says that he came to proclaim freedom for the captives. See, here's the deal. In a group this large, even though we may have, what, 70, 80, 85 people in here today, the truth of the matter is that there are people in here today who are bound. There are people in here today who are bound to addiction, whether it's drugs, whether it's alcohol, whether it is pornography, whether it's just an unhealthy lifestyle whether it's nicotine, whatever it is, there are people in here today who are bound. And this is what the word of God says, is that he came to set the captives free. Do we believe that today? And I'm looking at your faces. It doesn't, oh, come on, do we believe that today? Do we believe that? Do we believe that Jesus Christ can set us free from everything that binds us? Do we believe that Jesus Christ is who he says he is and that there was an anointing upon his life and when he died on the cross, he sent back the Holy Spirit and it released the kingdom of God into the world and today if we will allow him, Jesus Christ will take back everything that the devil stole and that includes you and that includes me and that includes everything that is not of God. 
when we bring it to him, when we allow him, he has come to set the captives free. Can you imagine what this meant to the Jews, the bondage they were in, and even the spiritual bondage? They were under this yoke of slavery, and some of us live in this same place, this yoke of religion. And I'm going to tell you, and we'll talk about this more in a minute, but I'm telling you the biggest problem with America today is that people have misplaced a relationship with Jesus Christ for a religious attitude. And I'm telling you, you can go so long living religious. You can go so long doing your own thing. And then at some point, it just gets old. I mean, come on. If he's real and he's living and he's working, then, then there's something that never gets old about that. We spend time in church trying to figure out ways. How can we keep it fresh? Guess what? God is fresh all the time. The problem is we don't give him a chance to do anything. The problem is we get so programmed in all of our ways of thinking that we don't look to God to do anything anymore. We just say, God, you sit in the corner. You stick your, you're in timeout, God. We'll deal with this. We'll handle this. Don't get in the way. We'll figure out a way to get people to church. We can manipulate with the best of them. Churches can manipulate. Churches can do all these. And what ends up happening is you have an entire society that wants nothing to do with church because they've missed the real deal. Because they missed the real thing. And yet Jesus came to proclaim freedom. He came so that we could have freedom even in the midst of financial insecurities. Even in the midst of of wondering, is my marriage going to work out? He says, listen, I I can bring freedom to your life. I mean, come on. We are in a time where more people have, have less security in their future then probably, I don't know, maybe in 50 years, 60 years, maybe since the Great Depression. And yet Jesus says, listen, if you, you will take the gift I brought to you and you'll open it up and you'll look to that gift rather than looking everything else that you try to desire, that you try to fill yourself with, whether it is a guy, whether it's a girl, whether it's drugs, whether it's alcohol. See, as much as you try... Getting to the bottom of a bottle does not heal a broken heart. Because you can drink yourself silly, pass out, but when you wake up the next morning, the problem is still there. Getting to the, the bottom of a carton of Ben and Jerry's, believe it or not, will not solve all of your problems. Going to sleep doesn't solve your problems. Because when you wake up, The problem is still there. The answer to the problem is Jesus Christ. Because he says he will make all things new. He's the one who will make all things new for us. It's nothing that we can do on our own. It says in release from darkness for the prisoners. Release from darkness for the prisoners. This may be translated a little better by saying release from darkness to the blind so that the blind could see so that we could begin to see clearly who Jesus is and see this is the truth some of us have grown up in places of darkness some of us still have this cloud of darkness that just seems to hang around us wherever we go and yet Jesus comes and he is the light of the world darkness cannot stand where there is light And the good thing about it is, guys, no matter how bleak, how dark your past has been, the light shines the brightest where it's the darkest. You cannot hide a light in a dark place. 
And Jesus has come today. He is here today. He is living today so that we could see clearly. That we could escape this darkness. And live not just after your eternity. See, so many of us have the gift, but we think it's only for once we die. God wants us to open that thing now. He wants us to live in it now. Listen to this. It says to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. The year of the Lord's favor. When Jesus came, and, and, and I feel this has been heavy on my heart all week long. I feel like there are a lot of people here who need to hear this. So if you've been sleeping, now would be a great time to wake up. But I believe that we need to know that when Jesus died on the cross and he shed his blood for us, that, and we accept that sacrifice for us, that something so incredible has happened, that God is not angry anymore. Jesus bore the wrath of God that was deserved to be placed upon us. But so many of us live in this religious mindset that God is still ticked. If I screw up, if I do anything wrong, then it's going to be like, and he's just going to zap us. And he could, but listen, Jesus, he was an appeasement of God's wrath. He took the wrath that was set for us. God is on our side. God is on your side. And his desire is to bring favor into your life so that people look at your life and they go, wow, why do things seem to work out for them? They're going through the same crap. They've got the same life that I have. And for some reason, they seem to rise above it. They seem to, it's because of Christ. It's because they've opened the, how many of you know people who you look at their lives and you go, my gosh, I wish I could be a little more like that. Somehow they just rise above stuff. Somehow it just doesn't bother them as bad. Somehow they can have their parking place stole at Walmart and they don't flip out. Boy, I wish I could be a little bit more that way. It's because they've opened the gift. They're allowing the gift in, of Christ to begin to work in them, to begin to change them, to begin to do things in them. And we've got to get to this place where we realize that God desires to place his favor on our life. Now, I'm not preaching a mansion on a hill and all these. I'm telling you that there is a lot more things that can bring you a lot more happiness than a mansion on the hill. You can have all that crap and you still have nothing. Yes, I said crap. I know somebody got on to me for saying that the other day, but I say crap a lot. But, but we've got to realize that God's desire is to place his favor. I got this email this week and, and I tried to make it very anonymous. But I want to read it to you because it blessed me so much. It was so awesome. And it says, it says here, your sermon two weeks ago. And, and then they say basically, and I'll put this in my own words. Your sermon two weeks ago, I have no idea why it spoke to me the way it did, but it did. That's basically what it says here. And then it says, but you were talking about. Are we just asking to make it to the water? We were talking about healing and the, the man, the, the, blind, the, the lame man who was trying to get to the water. Are we asking to make it to the water? Are we in faith asking for bigger things? And at the end, you asked about different areas. It says, I've been asking for, just for strength to make it through each day and just to make it through that one day. I realized that I could ask, I realized I could ask for bigger things. To see the future filled with blessing and excitement, not just merely making it through the day. What an awesome revelation. 
that God gave. Obviously, it was nothing. She pretty much told me it was nothing I said. But the Holy Spirit spoke to their heart. And they began to realize that there is more. I don't, it's not just about, see, God wants us to thrive and we want to just survive. We just want to make it one more day. And God's heart is that we would be such a people, there'd be so much blessing on our life. There'd be so much favor on our life. And I mean real blessing. I'm not talking about superficial junk. I mean the blessing of the Spirit of God, overflowing love in our life. The fullness, a whole person who is, who is whole emotionally, spiritually, and physically. And this is God's desire. And that's what he wants us to do. But we've got to begin to see it that way. We've got to realize that Jesus bore the wrath and God's desire is that we would be overachievers in the eyes of the world. That we would be more. Do we want that? Do we want that? Is that what we really, really want? Do we really, really desire that? It goes on and wrap this up quickly. In this section it says, And provide for those who grieve in Zion to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. All of these things, the crown of beauty, uh, the oil of gladness, and the garment of praise, all of these things are things that people did in those days to prepare, prepare themselves for a celebration. He said, for a, so he, he said, I'm giving you these things to prepare for a celebration. And the celebration came. Jesus has come. And now we live in this world. And yet we look to something better that's coming. He said, listen, I give you all of these things. Bestowing you a crown. See, listen, some of us have ashes in our life. So many of us have things in our life that are, that's been destroyed. And yet God says, I'll change that to beauty. I'll take the crap of your life and change it to beauty said it again didn't I and change it to beauty all of these things that the devil listen the devil has intended to kill steal and destroy Jesus says I'll take those things and I will use them to create something beautiful to use them to create something awesome and beautiful. The last thing in this session says they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. How many of you have ever seen an oak tree? Living down here, everybody one of you seen. But those big oak trees, you can do whatever you want to do to them, but, but short of a chainsaw, you're not gonna move one of these oak trees. And what he's saying here is listen, I will make you people who are immovable. I will make you won't you won't just fall over with every little thing that comes along and tries to blow you down. You will be immovable. You will be a rock because of what God has done in your life. You won't be able to. He he says that you'll be planted for the Lord. That God's going to grow you up. He's going to grow you up. And when something is grown, when a plant is grown, it begins to produce fruit. And that is God's desire for you. He wants you to be like that oak of righteousness that is immovable. That no matter what the devil brings your way, you don't move. Because you're planted in something so much stronger, so much better, so much bigger. Now it says right here, it says they will be called oaks of righteousness. He begins to talk about more than one people. He begins to talk about us. And see, all of these things are great. All of these things are good. They're wonderful. But that's just the beginning. That's just the beginning. Because see, these things would be the hope 
of man. These things would be my hope. These are, these are great things for me. But what God desires is that we would be the hope of the world. And I believe this. Y'all listen, because this is important. I believe this with all my heart, that the church is the hope of the world. The church, the people, is the hope of the world. But the problem is there's such a misconception with the church that you can't even get anybody there. See, we have abused what God has given us so badly that people have no clue of what the church is really supposed to be. I mean, think about it. I had probably three people uh, that, that I asked to come to church today or to come for today. And I saw them during the week. But even while I'm asking, I could see in their faces, say, why don't you come to church with us on Sunday? And you could almost see in their face this thing of, you know, but just by the mention of the word church. And I guarantee you that, that, that most of the people in here have been to church some way, in some point in their life, and they have some understanding of it. And if we were to take a poll, I guarantee you that most of our understanding of church has been negative because it's not what it was intended to be. We could fill up a 2,000-seat auditorium in Bullock County, Georgia, with people who have been turned off by church. Because when they came to church, it wasn't what it was supposed to be. It wasn't designed to do what it was supposed to do. We programmed God straight out of the church. We got to a point where having it full was more important than caring for the needs of the people inside. We got to a point where caring for the needs of the people inside got to be so much bigger than reaching the people outside. So what's the church called to do? What's the church called to be? Is it called to be a place where we come and we take care of the brothers and sisters in Christ? Or is it a place that we're called to come and we're supposed to go out and reach the lost? Yes. Yes. It's both. But see, I want to tell you what happens most of the time is a church does well in the beginning because you are very missional. We go out and we do all these things and, and it's because wait, we got to have people. You can't have church without people. So we're missional and we go out and do these things. But once you start getting people, people have needs and needs start making loud noises and people start wanting to take care of needs. And so our attention goes from looking out to looking in. And we begin to worry so much about the people. We begin to worry about so much about the people who give their check to keep the doors open that we forget about all the people who are in the world who are dying and going to hell. Come on, wake up and hear this today. Because I've said it before and I will say it again. If we can't do this, if we cannot go outside of these walls, then we need to close the doors and go home. We need to close the doors and go home. There are people who need to hear the truth and they don't need some phony experience at church to try to satisfy some need that can't be satisfied. They need to see the real deal. They need to know that Jesus Christ is real and he loves them. And this is where you and I come into play. I'm gonna to read to you real quick Ephesians 3, chapter 10. Or Ephesians 3, verses 7 through 11. I became a servant of this gospel. This is Paul talking to the Ephesians. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages, listen, for ages was kept hidden in God until Christ came. That's 
Put that in parentheses. That was my words. Until Christ came, who created all things. And listen to this, verse 10. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. That his intent was through the church that his manifold wisdom should be made known. The church, who is that? It's this building, right? No, it's the people. It's us. It's every one of you who come to this church. And the Bible talks of when we gather together in the name of Jesus, that he is there. But for so many of us, we come in and we just throw our Christian card on the table and we say, okay, God, show up. But the purposes of God are the farthest thing from our mind. Because on the way here, we're driving while we beat our kids in the back seat and we come in. We're just glad we got here because we stayed up too late the night before and we just are just glad we got here. And then by the time we get done with worship, we're like, oh gosh, my feet hurt. Thank God we can sit down. Whew. All right, glory. And then we start thinking, where are we going to eat lunch today? Hmm. Well, RJ's is pretty crap. Beaver Hmm. And we start thinking, but the purposes of God are the furthest thing from our mind. You know, let me tell you this. If we're going to reach people, when they walk through these doors, if they're going to realize that Jesus is real, most likely it's not just going to come from me standing up here and preaching this. As powerful and effective as this word is, most of them, if they come in and they don't experience the love of Christ when they walk through those doors, they're not going to hear what I say. It starts with every one of us. Listen, when people walk through the doors, they've got to know that we love them. They've got, and not a phony thing. We need to get our hearts right and get the purposes of Christ in mind so that when people walk in, we realize that this might be our only opportunity. They may not come back. And we've got to start getting past all of our petty differences. And we've got to begin to realize that God desires to do something awesome through us. What an opportunity, what an honor that God would choose us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul tells us that we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. There's one section in 6 where he's talking about the temple of the Holy Spirit being um, the individual. But in this section, he's talking about divisions in the church. And he says, do you not know that you yourselves are the temple of the Holy Spirit? We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And something happens when the Jesus Christ in you, the Holy Spirit in you, comes and combines with the Holy Spirit in me. And then it begins to combine with other people because 1 plus 1 doesn't equal 2. 1 plus 1 is exponential in the kingdom of of God. It's why one can put a thousand to flight and two can put 10,000 to flight. It's because it's exponential. And when we get together, if we have in mind the purposes of God, the spirit of God is here and he begins to move and people begin to see. Listen to this in Matthew chapter nine. In verse 35, it says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Listen, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to the disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. There is a harvest that is there. People are, have you ever seen a time when people were more harassed and helpless? And yet somehow Jesus walks up and he sees people who are harassed and they're helpless. And he says, there's a harvest. There's a harvest. And he says, just pray that the Lord of the harvest would send out workers into his harvest fields. That's us. Where do you take a harvest? You take it to the storehouse. 
And I believe that God would have us just bring people into his house. And when they experience the truth of God in us, they experience the reality of God through the love we give. Listen, they'll begin to see that God is, this is God's plan. In John 17, Jesus prayed and he said, God, I pray that they would be one. I ask you, Father, that they would be one so that the world may know who you are, that they would be one. We are the representation of Christ. Jesus walked this earth. He had a physical, he had a physical body. He walked around, he did ministry, and now we've become that body. And we've got to realize the seriousness of this, that we don't come to church just to come and sit and take up a seat. We come to church because it is the real representation of Jesus Christ. We were created for this. We were created so that when people walk through the doors, they experience something so real, so tangible. Are you excited about being here? I mean, not, not this morning. I mean, it's in general. Are you excited? Do you tell them people? Listen, you don't have to say, and I would almost advise you not to say this. See, I think we've had to attach the word church to so many of our names. This kind of, this church or, or this church, Connection Church, First Methodist Church, First Baptist Church, you know, the Episcopal Church, you know, let's be a, you know, equal offender here. Let's throw them all out there. But I think we've had, I said our own name, but I think we've had to stick church at the end of our name because people looking at us have no clue who we are. They have no clue who we are. And we got to change that. People are being turned away from the church left and right because we just aren't what God called us to be. We're not the redeeming hands and heart of Christ. And we've got to be that. We've got to be that. The only way to do that is for us individually to come together as a whole. To begin to connect. Listen, you don't have to even tell people, and I would almost advise you not to say, hey, why don't you come to church with me on Sunday? Because as soon as you say church, they go, oh gosh, I don't want to do that. Mm-mm, not me. Nope, they ain't getting my money. You know? But tell them, come listen to our band. Man, I know, you, you could even say this. You know what? I hate church. I hate church. But you ought to come hear our band because, man, they can really play. They are something. You ought to come see our drummer. Man, our drummer, he's like a little animal back. Just come and see it. And then when they say, you hate church, why do you go to church? Because it's different. But do we believe, are we really something different? Or are we like everything else? And I don't want to just slam everything and everybody, but are we really doing anything different? Is there a difference when you walk in here? I mean, you make a lie. Tell them, you got to come here, our preacher, man. You can lie to them. <laughs> Be like, he's the best thing ever. Just tell them a lie. You know, a little, little lie. Well, I don't know. The Bible says the devil is the father of all lies. So you probably don't want to do that. <laughs> but there's got to be something good that you can say. I mean, you're here, right? A lot of you come back every Sunday. Thank God. So there's got to be something. Why are you here? Maybe we need to think about that. Maybe we need to ponder. Why do I get up and, and, and rob myself of a couple of hours of sleep? I was talking to a guy this week and had lunch with him. And he's like, you know, there's some days, and this would be perfectly honest, he said, I'd rather stay home and rake leaves. I was like, man, church must be bad. 
to want to stay home and rake leaves. But he's been all over the place and he's just like, I'm just tired of it. I'm just tired of it. But can we be something different? Can we truly be the gift that God intended? Can we truly love people out of a sincere heart? Can we let them know? And see, some of us, it's like Sean said last week, we can't give something we don't have. So the first thing many of us have to do is accept the gift of Christ and what it entails, what it holds, everything that that name of Jesus encompasses so that when people walk through the doors, when you're at work, when you're at the gym, when you're doing whatever it is you do, you can say, man, I found something. You need to come experience this. And we begin to share sincerely. The last thing I want to tell you comes out of the Gospel of Luke. And, and it's in the very first chapter. And it says that Mary was there. The angel comes and appears to her. And he says, you're going to have a child. And she's like, whoa, I've never been with a man in my life. How am I going to have a child? And he says to her that the Holy Spirit, the very Spirit of God will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. It will overshadow you. And it it will overtake you. And from this, the child will be born. And see, I believe this with all my heart for everybody who's sitting in here today, that God's desire is to conceive something on the inside of you through the power of his Holy Spirit. That he wants to place something in you that would grow and would grow and would grow. And that it would become something that is effective for the kingdom of God. I don't know what it might be. It might be a dream that God places on the inside of you. It might be a vision of how to reach people for the kingdom of God. But I know this, it's bigger than you are. It's bigger than you are. And some of us just need to have our dreams refreshed. There are some of us who've given up on things that God placed there a long, long time ago. And God's desire is that that thing would grow and it would be birthed. And so the greatest gift came from the Holy Spirit being poured out into this young girl. Can you imagine how scared she was? Can you imagine how worried she was? By law, she should have been stoned to death. She should have been killed. And yet her attitude was, God, just do whatever it is you need to do through me. I'm your servant. And when we take that attitude and God begins to pour his spirit out into our hearts, man, oh man, what God can do through us. What God can place on the inside of us and that he can birth forth in our lives. We believe that. It's like that email. We can begin to believe for bigger and better things. God wants to birth something in us as we receive this gift of Christ, as he comes into our life, as we actually take the lid off of the box and we begin to enjoy the fullness of all that God has for us, he's going to do something so incredible. As we come in and we're full of joy. We're full of the Spirit of God and all the fruits begin to manifest. And people see us as God intended the church to be seen. He sees us as this loving body of Christ. It's the hands and feet of Jesus. Amen.